welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. Also, we want to apologize in advance for the audio in this message. We had some technical difficulties, so the quality of the audio is not as good as in previous weeks. We hope you are still able to enjoy this week's message. All right, if you've got your Bibles with me, turn over to Psalm 121. It's one of my favorites, Psalm 121, as we're going to look at the Psalms of Ascent today um, in our summary of the Psalms and all that they mean and the wonderful things that are about them. Um, so I'm going to read this Psalm 121. It says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. I love that song. And I love this summer in the Psalms. I really do. I, I hope you do too. These, these ancient words that we look at each week, they, they speak, they bring comfort or challenge or even just a deeper awareness of, of God's presence with us. I mean, this past week I was in my office, it was in one of the mornings, and, and I was reading this Psalm 121, which I said is one of my favorites. been that way ever since I was a teenager in high school youth group. And, and as I read these words, the Lord watches over you. He does not sleep or slumber. There was just this deep sense of peace that came over me then. This inner peace, this, this godly peace that passes understanding. And knowing that, that my God is watching over me. And everything that's happening in my family, I, I lift my eyes up to him because I know that he is there and he is my help today and always will be. And he has been there from the beginning of my life and all through the different seasons of my life. And, and he will watch over me and my family all the way up to the end. There's a great peace in that. This Psalm 121, it's part of what we call the Psalms of Ascent. In fact, this is one of the first ones of those psalms. The Psalms of Ascent are Numbers 120 through 134. There are 15 of them, and they're called the Psalms of Ascent because the people of God would read, read and sing these particular psalms each year on their way up to Jerusalem. Three times a year, God's people were commanded to gather together in Jerusalem at the temple as one people to have a festival and a worship service, a big deal, a gathering, kind of like Passover or Feast of Tabernacles, to remember the things that God had done for them way back from their ancestors' time of Abraham and Moses and David and how he had delivered them out of Egypt and he made them a people. I mean, this was kind of their Christmas and Easter, you could say, of the year. Three times a year they would gather in Jerusalem and they would walk there. You know, in Bible times, they would walk there with their families from all over Israel. So those living in, in the southern part of Israel, you know, Bethlehem and Jericho, well, to get to Jerusalem might take them maybe just a day's walk. 
you know. But those living all the way up north, near the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, Basel, well, they would come, and it might take them a week to get there, walking, you know. And they would sing these songs along the way. We read in the New Testament, Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus, they traveled to Jerusalem on one of these occasions. We, we read about Jesus and the disciples often traveled to Jerusalem for these festivals, these annual pilgrimages. And the reason they're called the Psalms of Ascent is because Jerusalem is literally built up high on Mount Moriah. And so you're walking up, you know, to Jerusalem. You're, you're going up and at Jerusalem's on a hill in between three valleys. And so when Jesus said, you know, in one of his sermons, uh, you know, uh, you're the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. He wasn't just speaking abstractly. Jerusalem was literally a city on the top of a hill. And you could see it miles away. Some say also the reason there are 15 Psalms of Ascent is that when you arrived in Jerusalem, you had to climb 15 stairs to get into the temple. And this is one of the spots that we always go and visit on our trips to Israel, the South Wall Steps, they're called. And there used to be a big gate at the top of them, uh, but it's now been since sealed up with a wall. But back in Bible times, after a long journey, finally arriving in Jerusalem, you paid your temple tax, you entered, and then you climbed those final 15 steps to enter into the house of the Lord and meet with God. And so it's believed that not only did people pray and sing these prayers uh, along their way to Jerusalem, but the faithful would stop at each step, you know. And so the first step, they would read Psalm 120, and they'd take a step, and then they'd read Psalm 121, they'd take another step, Psalm 122, and so forth, all the way until they get to the top, with Psalm 134, where it says, Come now, bless the Lord, all you servants of him who stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands now in this holy place. They had traveled all this way to meet with him. And these psalms, boy, they helped prepare their heart for worship. I remember my grandmother really took seriously her time spent with God. The Lord had saved her when she was in high school and her whole life she loved and enjoyed her relationship with God. And so if it was reading her Bible in the morning, it wasn't ever just reading her Bible. It was spending time with God. And so she would pray before she even began, before she had opened the Bible, before reading, she would ask God to be with her in that place and to speak to her from His Word that morning. I remember she would do this when she would attend church as well. We would all be visiting and talking with friends in the hallway or, you know, around the chairs in the sanctuary. And, and Grandma would be sitting silently by herself praying and asking God to meet her in this place and in this time. And so she would also pray for the pastor who was giving the message and the worship team who was leading us that day. She was preparing her heart to be with the Lord. There's something to this, you know. When we pray or read scriptures or gather together, gather together as worshipers on a Sunday or for Easter or Holy Days, it really is not a casual thing. It isn't. It's, it's not just an ordinary thing. We are taking time to be with God. We are listening for His voice. We are opening His holy word. We come to meet with Him. It's a big deal, you know. 
Uh, my daughter is in North Chicago today because she went to see her boyfriend of two years uh, who just graduated from basic training this weekend. He is in the Navy. She hasn't seen him for three months. She has written him a letter each day. Recently, they have allowed uh, him to start to text again or to call, so they've had a few calls. But boy, in her room, she has a whiteboard that has been counting down the days from 79 down, down to zero when she could see him again. This past week, she even went out and got a dress, which is huge for my daughter to do. For two or more weeks, she has been preparing to go and see him and thinking about him. And, and then Thursday, she drove the eight hours up to Chicago uh, to see him. And I want you just to think about this, you know, going to meet with someone is very special to us. I mean, if you had an appointment with someone really special or important or a judge to talk about your case or your president or, or an interview with someone, I mean, I remember, I remember when I had the chance to go and meet Ryan Sandberg, my favorite baseball player ever, second baseman for the Cubs. When I was growing up, I would race school from school every day just to watch him on WGN. And I collected all of his baseball cards and a few times, Dad and I, actually got to go to Wrigley Field and, and watch him play. And, and we'd be sitting way up in the stands and he would be way down in the field, just this little dot, but I would still take his picture and have it, you know, come out and then I would show everybody, and oh, that little dot down there, that's, that's Brian Sandberg, I got to see him. And of course, it was this big gap. Well, when I was in Chicago at college, I won the chance to meet him and get his autograph at Cubs Convention. Only 220,000 or so got that chance, and I was one of them. And so for weeks, I was thinking about it, what I would do, and what I was going to say and the night before. And, and then we drove in, and, and then it was my turn after the line. I finally, it was my turn to walk forward where he was sitting behind the table. And I just went completely blank. You know, I mean, it's just like when, you know, you would fear, you know, I just kind of just stuck out my hand and shake his, and I got a picture with him, and I think the only thing I could utter out was thank you, and I mean, this was the one and only Ryan Sandberg, but still in that, there was all this anticipation to prepare to meet him, and, well, how does this pause for a second, think what we're really doing here, I mean, we're gathering to meet with God. To meet with God when we sit in alone in, in our room at home and, and we open the Bible. We're meeting with God. Think about that. So the people back in Bible times going to Jerusalem, they were going there to meet with God in that holy city, in that holy temple and place, and with his rest of his people. I mean, this was a big deal, and they had 15 songs to sing on the way, 15 steps to, to climb up and to, they were preparing their heart to be in his presence. And for us today, thanks be to God and Jesus Christ, we don't gotta go to Jerusalem to meet with him. In Christ, we're able to meet with him every day if we want. By his spirit, he lives within us and, and the Bible says we are temples of the living God. So God is with us. And so if you take that example of me going to meet Ryan Sandberg for five seconds and you compare it to the Old Testament people going to Jerusalem those couple times a year, the difference today is that, that we get to now have God living with us in our home. 
We get to meet with him. He is our father. We're able to call on him at any time that we want. And he watches over us. And we're able to know him personally. My grandmother was able to close her eyes and pray and open her Bible and read it and know that he was right there with her. She was able to come to church and sit in her chair in the sanctuary and with other believers around and, and not just be with them, but be with him. That's amazing. She had come to hear from God and worship and meet with him because we're two or more gathered in his name. There he is. It was holy time. The Psalms of Ascent remind us of the joy that it is to go and meet with God. To spend a moment with the one who never takes his eyes off of you. What a privilege to be able to ascend the hill and spend a moment with him. I want to point out just a few of the key verses of the Psalms of Ascent for us. The first is from Psalm 121, which I read for us. And like I said, this would probably be my favorite psalm. And I think the reason is there was a song that we used to sing in a youth group when I was growing up, and it had these words of Psalm 121 in it. The song went something like this, and, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you. Maker of heaven, creator of the earth. Oh, how I need you, Lord. You come and rescue me. Come and give me life. Some songs, they just stay with you. Words that I have needed many times in life. This song of ascent is right at the beginning. This song here where they're singing at the, is right at the beginning of their journey to Jerusalem for a reason. Because as the people headed out from home and began walking, they began walking with this on their lips. I lift my eyes up. It was the hills were literally before them. Where does my help come from for this? It is from the Lord, and so too in life, our journey with God over many hills and valleys begins with that first step. I lift my eyes up. I can't do this by myself. I can't get there where I'm needing to go on my own. I can't fix this problem, whatever it is. I can't solve this issue. I can't save myself. I can't heal this world. But I lift my eyes up to the one who very much who will go with me on this journey and who watches over us all the way. I lift my eyes up. I don't look around. I don't look within. I don't get stuck looking behind. No, I do it as Grandma did and God's people for thousands of years have. I lift my eyes up. I go with God. I meet with Him because He knows me. He is my Father who Jesus said knows what you need before you even ask. Or like it says in James 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God who will give you generously without finding fault. Or like on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, don't be worried about all this stuff. Don't be anxious about all this stuff. Seek first that kingdom. Keep your eyes and your mindset, and it will all be given to you. With the hills and the valleys before you, where do you look for help? It says, 
to him, the maker of heaven, who never sleeps nor slumbers, but watches over us. When I was young and would get sick or afraid, I have this memory of mom literally putting a chair in my room and watching over me when I was falling asleep. I wonder if she still remembers that. Um, but I do, knowing that she was watching over me allowed me to rest, to have peace as a, as a little kid, to close my eyes and not fear the darkness. Well, Psalm 121 says, He watches over you. He never sleeps nor slumbers. It says, He won't let your foot slip. Think about that. Do you have the faith to believe that He is the shade at your right hand and that the sun won't harm you by day and the moon won't harm you by night, but the Lord will keep you from all harm? Do you believe in Him for that? That he will watch over your life, your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. So that first step to meeting with God is lifting our eyes up. It is knowing that he watches over and that he loves us and that you can trust him for that journey that you're on. The second verse of, of this that I want to point out is from Psalms of Ascent is Psalm 122, verse 1 where it says these words, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. And then it goes on to talk about Jerusalem. But I chose this verse because it struck me that the language was not, I go to Jerusalem to meet with God, but it is, let us go, that our feet would stand in his gates. And I love this because it's never a personal journey. God's people are always called and sent together to journey across the wilderness, across the Red Sea. They walk side by side to Jerusalem to be with all God's people together and to worship Him together as one. Just like they came out of Egypt, not one by one, but as one, one people with one Lord, one faith. Just like Peter, when he gave his first sermon on Pentecost, it says 3,000 were saved that day and baptized and added to their number. It uses that word added. This crowd didn't just find Jesus that day and put their faith in Christ and, and then go home and keep living by themselves, but they were instantly part of a community that believers that embraced them, a church, a body, a group of diverse people, all on a journey to meet with and serve and love and worship God together. You know, there was this time about four years ago now, I think it's been, maybe five, um, where I thought it would be nice to go to Israel by myself. I had always, you know, let these groups of people there, and I was in charge of this, and, and so I thought, well, you know what, I want to go by myself so I can spend some time on my own going where I want to go, or just spending more time in certain places that I'd like to be, and I thought that that would be wonderful, but I tell you, it was really kind of strange, but I made that journal, journey to Israel, and, and I didn't like it. It wasn't great, and I realized there at that time that what made that trip so special for me all those times was not just where I was going, but it was that I was going together with people from my church and my family and friends. And we were making this pilgrimage together to Israel and looking at these sites and we would pray at certain ones and talk about them at dinner. And, and that experience of doing this together was what made it so, so enjoyable and, and meaningful to me. 
And, and, and that's what I think we need to recognize even in our own relationship with God and when we meet with Him, that God has given us this. He's given these people right now that we meet with every week. These people are part of that journey to meet with Him. We go together to Christ. We serve side by side. We pray with each other. The Israelites journeyed together to Jerusalem. I think of Ecclesiastes 4 where it says two are better than one. If one falls down, the other one can pick him up. And if one gets cold, the other keeps him warm. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. Together. Why did Jesus send it out two by two? Why 12 disciples and not just one Peter? Because we need each other. We grow with each other. We encourage one another. You can go quickly by yourself or you can go together and it's better. I have learned so much from the people on the journey with God. I have learned new perspectives. I have heard testimonies. I have had prayer from others when I needed it. I have felt support and encouragement to keep walking when I wanted to turn around. The Lord invites us to come to Him together. It says, let us go. The third verse from the Psalms of the Sin I want to share is Psalm 126. And this is a very important one in Bible times. You could say that it was actually their most important song of ascent because they would read it every Sabbath of the year, right before saying grace at their meals. It wasn't just read on the journey to Jerusalem, but every week as well. And I want to read it for you now. It's very short, but just to maybe you can think about why was this the one that was so special that it was read every week? And on every holy day. It says this, When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who had dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we're filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tear will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out with weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. I think the reason this was read every week and so special for them was that it is a song of great hope. It begins by reminding them of how the Lord brought them back home from captivity. It was like men who had dreamed of this day, but never thought it would come, and then it had. We read in this, of this in, in Bible times of how when God's people returned home, these big, strong warriors had tears in their eyes and praise on their lips. Their mouths were filled with laughter and tongues with songs of joy because they had dreamed for so long for this day, and now it was before them. And the people of the world did say, man, the Lord's been good to them. Look what he has done for them. It was a miracle. Well, Psalm 126 reminds the people of this. And then it says, Lord, restore us, bringing in the streams of water from the Negev over this dry and weary land. Lord, in other words, we need you again. We dream again because the world isn't as it should be and our people are still separated from you and from peace. And so again, we dream of the day when Rome won't hold us captive and when Babylon won't throw us into the fire and when there is no more war and only peace upon this land and when people won't hurt other people and justice won't be denied and your name will be mocked. Lord, we still dream about your kingdom. 
As in the days of old, please work again because things are not as they should be. But we know that they can be. For what you did once, won't you do it again, Lord? You see, this psalm is a psalm of great hope, of recognizing that we, we come to the Lord in, in times of trouble and pain and when things are not always great, but He puts the dream still in our heart. He, he gives us the faith that will not die and puts a song on our lips that we keep on singing as we look forward and as we keep walking forward. The verse says, those who sow in tears will reap songs of joy because that sorrow may be for a night, but one day those who mourn will see God's healing and His kingdom come. They will experience the joy one day. Today might be full of sorrows, but tomorrow belongs to Him and those who are with Him. And that final verse of Psalm 126 refers to harvest and how God's people continue to sow seed even in a dry land because of the promise that a harvest is coming and they will carry home sheaves. Somehow God is going to make a way. He will bring a harvest if we just keep the faith. I love Galatians 6, 9 where it says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. Elijah needed to hear this at a time in his life when he was ready to quit. Peter needed to hear this on the shores of Galilee. Timothy needed to hear this when his job was overwhelming. There are times in our life when we're ready to turn around or quick or, or to ready to quit or think that it's impossible. Well, imagine God's people years ago singing this song and with their fellow Jewish families as they journeyed the long journey to Jerusalem, walking over river and mountain and desert and valley and seeing Roman guards and poor villages and they're just waiting for the promise, not realizing yet what was coming. Are you trusting the Lord for the harvest? The fourth verse of the Psalms of Ascent I just want to mention is Psalm 131. Where David says this, he says, My heart's not proud, my eyes not haughty. I don't concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I've still been quiet in my soul like a weaned child. This psalm is interesting to me because I grew up in the 1980s where we were all told almost every day in every movie and song and teacher that we could conquer the stars and we were to dream big and to do big and go big or go home and it was a time of excess and and yet this psalm speaks of a stillness and a contentment and a humility in just doing what Mother Teresa said, small things, but with big love. So often we think we've got to do big things and more things and newer things, and it just never ends. Tim Keller says about this psalm that the mention of a weaned child with his mother is important because it's referring to how a weaned child no longer nursing is free to just be with his mom now, content and enjoying her closeness and love without needing and wanting anything else. And how that is a maturity that we seek with God to not just be anxious and asking and wanting for more than what we've been giving to fill our already busy and blessed and full life, but it's, it's learning how to be with God, just be with Him, content in Him, content with what we've already been given and who we are and what we can do and to be thankful, you know, for the little or the much, to be still. 
David is saying, I let go of my proud heart, my haughty and envious ambitions. I won't get caught up in the next or latest thing, but just to be still and quiet, my restless heart before him, letting the Lord be enough for me. And then the last verse I just want to point out from the Psalms of Ascent is Psalm 133, where it says, How very good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured out on the head and running down the beard. This mention of Aaron and, and oil running down his beard is referring to the anointing oil that was put on a priest when he set out to do the work that God had called to do. The oil often represented the Holy Spirit. And so what this psalmist is saying is, God, pour out your Holy Spirit on in abundance on your people and make us one again, unified together. That with one heart and one mind, we might come together as one people to do your will. And he says how good and pleasant it is when we live together in unity. Jesus prayed for this too. In John 17, in the garden, right before he would go to the cross, he prayed for his disciples and for all who would believe in him, that we would be one as he and the Father are one, that we would be one and by it people everywhere would see the truth that he is Lord. In Ephesians 4, 1-6, it says that we're to live a life worthy of the calling we receive and to be completely humble and gentle with one another, to be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. Warren Wiersbe wrote that when we walk by the Spirit, we forget about the externals and we major on the eternal things of God. The externals often divide us, but the Spirit unites us in Christ for that common salvation and that common mission. We won't always see eye to eye at every issue. But if we love one another and we walk by the Spirit and not our flesh, we'll be able to walk together in unity and we just might grow. Jesus even said that if we're at the altar and we realize we got something against one of our brothers or sisters, let us leave our gift at the altar and go and first ask for forgiveness and reconcile with that person and then come back together and give our gift to God. That is how important to God it is that we settle the hurts and the differences and seek the unity of the Spirit. And I'll tell you, man, you know this yourself. It has been hard these past few years. Maybe you've experienced it even with friends or family or church members. You know, as a pastor, I felt it. Trying to hold a church together through masks or no masks, vaccines or not, political divisions, matters of race, sexuality, abortion, not to just mention personalities that rub each other the wrong way, or feelings hurt, or miscommunications, or different passions on how to spend money, or what someone said about my kid. Goodness, how the enemy tries to divide us. And it is so tiring. And we can't always see our way through it. This psalm says, reminds us how good and pleasant it is when we live in unity. Father, make us one. We need your word to be our guide. We need your spirit to change our hearts. We need Christ to be our one Lord. Because there's only one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. So let us continue to pray for oneness. Not sameness, but 
oneness in Christ so that the world might know that He is Lord. Have a great Sunday. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church's ministries and events, head to bccwaverly.org.